Are you ready? Ready to bring a revolution to your relationships? Ready for the experiences on your dating adventure to evolve? Ready for more passion, intimacy, connection, and love in your relationship? Ready to heal past relationship wounds? You're in the right place. I'm Alan, the Love Engineer, and this is the Relationship Revolutions Podcast. In this series, you'll get guidance and tips from me, interviews from other relationship experts, insights from couples who already have a great relationship, and other mind-opening conversations. G'day, and welcome to the latest episode of Relationship Revolutions, and today's guest is Andy Coley. So, Hello, everybody. First, first two questions, Andy. How are you, and where are you? Well, how am I? That's a really interesting one to start with. Uh, slight cold, so you have to excuse my slightly husky voice. Uh, it's only quite this deep. Um, and having a good week. Um, lots of client work on, lots of coaching. Um, a real sort of mixed bag. No weeks uh, are ever the same. Um, and I forgot what the second question is already. <laughs> <laughs> where are you? Ah, cool. Uh, yes, southeast London, near um, Lewisham. So that's where I am currently sat right now. So for me, that's uh, somewhere inside the M25. <laughs> yes, <laughs> near, near the O2, near Greenwich, that kind of area. Okay, that, that makes Not sense. From there. <laughs> so you're a coach and NLP practitioner or NLP master, maybe. Um, that's not generally the kind of career option that's offered in the careers office when we leave school. <laughs> so no. how did you get there oh that's a good point yeah so i'm i'm so i'm i'm, I'm the next level up actually i'm an nlp trainer um so, but i guess should we start with what's nlp before i get going into the the life story <laughs> um so nlp stands for new well in my world it's got a couple of different meanings it stands for neuro linguistic programming and nlp is basically the study of the way the mind works how you take in and process information how that information becomes your version of the world that you're experiencing, because we all experience the world differently based on our past and our experiences and you know our values and our beliefs. Um, and then how we represent what's going on inside our head through our language, through our behaviors, um, through our, our body language, you know, the things that we're doing and things that we're saying. And then the patterns and programs that we get caught up in in our life. And some of those patterns and programs are fantastic, you know, really useful for us. And other times they're not so useful. Um, so NLP is basically the study of what makes us us. Um, it was sort of created as a, as a field um, back in the 70s in uh, in California. Um, and yeah, it was very much about the study of the human experience, really. Excuse me. Um, and um, yeah, so NLP is just a, a sort of really fascinating field. Have you ever come across NLP yourself? Um, yes, I'm an NLP practitioner. Oh, brilliant. That's good. Sorry, I have to keep muting because I've got a little tickle on my throat. <laughs> um, and yeah. Um, yeah, for me, NLP um, enabled me to find out a lot more about myself and how I tick, um, and also some of my flaws and some of the things I had going on for me. Um, and I really got into NLP in my mid-30s, having gone through what I call my epic life fail, um, when I had a marriage of 11 years that, that you know, finished. We got separated and divorced. Um, I was 23 stone in weight. I was near suicidal. I was just in a real bad place, basically. Um, and for me, I, I NLP was about establishing some, what do I need from this world right now? What can I control right now with where I am? 
And I was really lucky that I had a friend of mine who was a, a master practitioner of NLP. Um, and he helped to coach me, you know, um, over periods of time, weeks, months of sort of working alongside this guy. We were running a, a sort of mail order company at the time together. Um, and that sort of those little nudges just helped me to 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 reclaim that that identity that I think I'd lost as part of my marriage collapsing and me not doing a yeah. good enough job and being a failure and uh, all the other basically sort of bullshit that goes through your head, all that stuff that that's you know sort of floats around. And for me, I, you know, that failure label was something I was living my life through. Now I'd failed at being, you know good enough with money i'd failed at being a partner i was going to be the only person in my family to ever gotten divorced you know um and there are all those sort of society things you know you make your bed you lie in it you get on with it you do the best yeah um, all that sort of like I say bullshit was just i guess kept me stuck for such a long time that i was fighting against that as well as my own pride and my own guilt you know, not being able to make it work, of not being a good enough communicator of my stuff, of looking back now, being quite a bit of a narcissist, really, within a relationship. Um, and all that stuff, over time, I've started to understand about myself and where it's come from and why it was there and what it was doing for me, even if the outcome wasn't the best outcome at the time. So getting to understand a little bit about why I was doing those behaviours and what they're about and kind of moving on from them means that sort of later in my life, I got fascinated about that whole process of change. And that's why I then sort of studied um, NLP in 2012. I did my practitioner, masters and trainers all in one go. And then I sort of switched from, because I used to be a web developer, I switched from reprogramming computers to having people reprogram themselves. And that's that's very much what I've done over the last sort of 11, 12 years or so. Yeah. Do you find that looking back, you mentioned that you felt like divorce was failure and you failed as a man and failed as a husband. And that's certainly something I can relate to because because I've been there. And at that time, it certainly felt like I was a failure. But looking back, I actually realized that that divorce wasn't a failure. It was actually a gift. Mm. Admittedly, the wrapping paper it came in was absolutely horrible. But you throw the wrapping paper away anyway. Yeah. And yeah. I think... Part of it for me was the social conditioning we have as men that we are the man, we are the leader of the family, if you like, or the captain of the ship. It just happens to be a relationship. And mm. when the ship goes down, the captain yeah. goes down with the ship. I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why so many men stay in a relationship that's unhealthy at best. Yeah. And my, my, my model of relationships was a good experience. You know, my parents you know, had a great relationship. My dad happened to be the first first officer on a ship for the Royal Navy. So, you know, that's a good analogy um, from that particular uh, experience. I mean, yes, he was away a lot when I was a kid, you know, particularly when I was younger, growing up. Um, there'd be times when he was maybe away for eight, nine months at a time, and it was just my mum and and the sort of circle of, of sort of Navy mums left behind with the kids um we would get sporadic postcards to find out whereabouts in the world he was now you know following through the mediterranean or yeah. over to the you know the coast of australia or wherever they would come from um and you know from within the rest of my family the their my grandparents had good relationships my aunts had good relationships got a fairly small family but nobody had ever looked like marriage was ever a, a burden for them or a chore that you ever saw yeah. anyway Nobody ever seemed to really argue, you know, or arguments were quickly settled and never slept on. 
No, so I, I never experienced a dysfunctional marriage before that I was aware of from the outside. Um, yeah, maybe I might have had a couple of friends that had, you know, hit some turbulent times, but but typically that was often because somebody had done something like had an affair or something that within my moral compass meant, oh, well, that's why then they've gotten them and done yeah. that. Not what I was experiencing, which was, you know, um, that kind of whole feeling of not being good enough for you and not being good enough for myself and not being able to communicate. Um, and I was, I, you know, I massively ego white horse. I'm the man, I'm the provider. Uh, I've got to rescue you because before you met me, you'd had some bad relationships and I don't want you to feel like crap with me. So I'm not going to put you through my stuff, you know, and, um, yeah, wanting to sort of rescue, but by rescuing and not communicating and not sharing what was going on for me emotionally, not sharing what was going yeah. on for me financially. You know, I got us as a, as a partnership into a, a lot of debt because I was not earning what I needed to earn in order to go on the holidays and buy the car. So I was putting it all onto credit yeah, and not telling my partner about it. And then, you know, that spiraled and, you know, in a loan against a loan or a card, a thing, and, oh, I paid off this card, but now I've still got the card. Great, I can spend on the card again. And sort of getting myself into that, that vicious money cycle. Yeah. Um, and even now, I mean, I'm 47. I still have debts and I've not been debt free since I was 17. So for 30 years, you know, I've been in debt aside from a mortgage, you know, just in terms of other stuff, getting to that point now of, of sort of being able to climb out of that hole. But it's taken a really long time and sometimes bailing out from, you know, my parents and all that kind of stuff. But for what really nailed the, the marriage being over was the fact that I didn't communicate to her about how much debt I was in, how much, yeah, you know, emotional stress I was under, you know, um, and I, I was hiding it, actively hiding it from her because I knew that she would be upset. And I thought if she found out about the debt, my stuff would be in bin bags out the front of the house and the marriage would be over. But of course, yeah. conversely, by hiding it, when she did find out about it and the sort of everything blew up, you know, about seven years into our marriage, um, then, of course, that was also what was likely to happen because of that. So yeah. it was really difficult to kind of, to see the other side of it because at the time I just didn't have a, that emotional intelligence to be able to deal with it. I didn't have anybody I could talk to. I didn't share it with anybody. I just bottled yeah. it up, stuck it away in the box in the back of my head until it got forced open, you know? And, you know, I mean, we're, we're not talking small amounts. It was sort of, you know, 60, 70 grand's worth of debt that I'd built up. She just didn't know about because she left me to deal with the bills and the things yeah. and the, the money coming in and yeah there was times when money was coming in okay because the contracts were good and other times when you know i'd invoice 500 quid but still need to spend four or five grand in a month out um yeah. but i wouldn't say it to her because i didn't want to upset her and i just realized now looking back how much of a controlling narcissistic um behavior set that that really was but yeah. i just didn't didn't know that at the time i was trying to protect i was trying to make it's easier. I was trying to rescue. It's okay. You don't need to get a job because I know how tough you've had it. You know, when actually, do you know what? That bloody income would have been really useful, yeah. you know, and she would have gone off and done it if she'd known what was really happening. But I wasn't treating her as much as an equal within the marriage. I And so that withholding also became control. But I, I, I think I remember one of my lowest points <clears throat> before 
um, she found out about all the debt was um, I used to live on the South Coast. So I, I, I worked somewhere near Winchester, which is sort of just up from Southampton. I used to drive 40 minutes home at lunchtime to collect the post when I knew there would be post in the thing saying about, oh, you haven't paid this off this month or you haven't done that or the balance things. So I kind of knew roughly what day of the month different letters came and I would travel my lunch break back home to pick up the post so she wouldn't open it or see it and then I'd hide it away. Yeah, that to me sounds a little bit like the alcoholic that doesn't want to know their partner is an alcoholic so they keep hiding the bottles everywhere. Yeah. And that kind of secrecy is, oh, I would say, almost always a recipe for disaster. Yeah. But then with the money side, what do they teach us about money in school? Nothing. How often do our parents teach us about money? Nothing. The only thing we ever get taught is how to spend. Maybe save a little bit in the bank, but the interest yeah, rates are uh, nowhere but, but, near the credit yeah, card I, mean, I, was, I always remember something that my dad told me, which sort of stuck with me, is that you should always have money. Yeah, always have money in your bread bin. That's the stuff that you're sort of spending there. You stick something in the fridge and then always have something in the freezer. Um, was his analogy. Yeah. I always remember that. You know, your freezers, your long term, your pension, your locked away sort of stuff. Your things in the fridge are like maybe an ISA, something that's going to pay out in a bit of time. And then your active in and out, you know, of the bread bin type money is then the stuff that you have in in that background as well. So yeah, that's yeah. that's. I, I, but but we didn't get sort of practical with it. And uh, you know, I'll be honest. I was earning quite, you know, quite early on. My parents were okay, you know, were okay for money. Um, maybe not as I was growing up, because you know, like any house, you know, I remember them not being able to get a house because they couldn't afford the extra hundred pound on the mortgage, for instance, when they were buying yeah. a house once. You know, now you'd struggle to not not spend that in a restaurant if you went out for lunch. Um, but um, yeah, when I was sort of seventeen, eighteen, I, I, you know, um, I went to uni, but I got paid to go to uni. I did a a sponsored degree with IBM down in Portsmouth and I was being paid eight grand, 10 grand and 11 grand a year to go to uni, you know, but I still had the the student loan that I could access. So I had that as well. Um, I bought a car on credit. Worst thing I ever did. That's the first bit of credit I ever got at, at 17. I bought this Astra um, from a garage for a few grand. Um, and then when it came to selling the car, the car was worth less than the loan. And I didn't have other money to top it up with. Didn't ask my parents for it. So I took out a loan to then cover the thing that then covered that. And, and you know, credit and cards and yeah. all those kind of things were were easy to access when your credit rating is great. Um, and that, that began the spiral of not really being a saver, but having to divert lots of money each month towards credit um, yeah. and paying off debt. Um, and they're never really kind of getting on on top of that aspect. And I got married quite young. I got married in my early twenties. Um, so that that bit that maybe I might catch caught back up with myself never then occurred because I then went straight into a marriage and getting married yeah. and a wedding. And then you know my my ex wife had a house, so you know she already had the house with a really low mortgage. Um, but we sort of switched the mortgage to one where you could then access it and take money out against it. And, and all of those things became just sort of accessible spending ability that, and a kind of like, and even she said this, like it would have been easier if I'd been a gambler or a drinker or spent it on drugs. Like there would have been a reason for it, but I'd spent it on yeah. us just living. But of course she wasn't consciously aware of it. Maybe in the back of her mind, she knew something was going on. Where's this coming from? Yeah. Um, 
but it was it was yeah day to day week to week and i was a good liar basically um but my higher purpose for it was because oh you've had a hard life before you met me blah blah, blah. i don't want to ruin this all that kind of matcha bullshit um and yeah. yeah that's that's what was what was going on in that relationship yeah it's amazing how we can use those stories to justify our actions yeah. and behaviors yeah as when i was married um for the first two years because she wasn't a british citizen she wasn't allowed to work so i covered everything anyway and after that i said look if you want to go to work that's fine if you don't that's okay but obviously yeah. we're gonna things are going to be tighter and initially i was working nights and said well look i want to come on to days because i don't see you i said the only thing is that's going to um cost we i'm going to be earning a lot less so now you're earning would you mind con contributing to the cost of living and she's like well if i've got to pay pay you 50 pounds a week then my life is over kind of thing well yeah that should have been a red flag to me but i kind yes. of ignored it and i remember sitting down with her several times and actually going through the bank statement and say well this is what i earn this goes out to the mortgage, this goes to the council tax, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, and this is what's left. Yeah. And she's like, well, so you earn so much, why haven't you got any money? I've, there's the evidence, but you yeah. haven't got any money. And I think she got it in her mind that us English guys are absolutely loaded, <laughs> whereas some over in Asia, not so much. Yeah. So that was a bit of a challenge for us yeah and she was also keeping a lot of secrets anyway which is one of the reasons our our marriage broke down but that communication between the two of us wasn't yeah. there and think about the whole time i was growing up i got taught to read taught to mm -hmm. write taught to speak had an idea how to listen or at least what somebody was saying so i could reply yeah but we are not taught to communicate no. And as men, we're not taught to even be aware of our emotions and feelings. It's just squash that down, get on with the job, man up, carry on. You've got goals to get achieve. You've just got to keep yeah. going and going and going. And then you get to that point where you're 30 or 40, when you th wake up one day and you think, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. This yeah. is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and you either you know, you either have had it hard and tough, and you grow up hard and tough, or you've maybe had it easy and you grow up as a, as a sort of Mister Nice Guy scenario as yeah. well, you know. And um, and of course, you know uh, that's what NLP is based on. It's the principle of modeling, and we model the people that we have exposure to when we're growing up and when we're yeah. young. Like you, we have no idea how the world works apart from by the people around us. So we grow up with their values, their beliefs. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit like getting a phone out the box, brand new, mobile phone out the box. It's preloaded with the operating system. Yeah. But when we're younger, uh, we start getting school, adding things, our parents adding stuff, society, maybe a religion thing, and they start adding apps and they start putting memories in there and they start creating, you know, perspectives. And this is how you do it. And this is how you use this. And then as we get older and older, we put our own things in there and our friends and our peer group and all these other people start to affect the way that, that our individual phone gets created because let's face it, none of us got the same phone, the same memories with the yeah. same pictures with the same apps in the same way in the same layout. 
And the same thing's true about our brain. It gets laid down with the stuff we get gifted and given first of all. Uh, and then later on, we get to that point where we go, hang on a minute, I don't want that app anymore. I don't need this thing. And, and that awakening process for some, not all, you know, it depends on at what point do you get that self-awareness, you know, that ability to get that self-regulation. And those are two key components of emotional intelligence, along with the rapport, you know, along with the ability to have empathy um, for other people as well. They're, they're really core to getting to understand how you work. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, we, we model because how else do we grow growing up? Our accents yeah. are the words, the way that we say a word, they come from the people that we've been there. And that's, and that's absolutely true that you are a result of the shadow that's been cast upon you, you know, yeah. but sometimes that shadow can be really useful, empowering and other times not so useful, not so empowering. Yeah. I know that you know, within the family, they've got some avoiders of conflict sometimes, you know, don't talk about the stuff that's, happening or happened or oh yeah okay somebody so so is a bit poorly well don't mention that to the kids you know um and so i know where some of my avoider um stuff comes from you know i, I may you know the the white knight scenario the the wanting to be a helper i know where some of that came from um i used to be a cub scout and if you were ever in the scouts at all I was yeah um yeah so i did cub scouts scouts venture scouts and then i became a leader and a helper years i, I did scouting but the cub scout motto a Cub Scout always does his best. It was just boys at the time. So Cub Scout yeah. always does his best, thinks of others before himself, cha-ching, yeah, and does a good turn every day. And I think for me, like, I said that mantra two, three, four times in a week. You know, that was the Cub Scout motto that I followed, that I helped yeah. people. I am a helper. My love language is acts of service, you know. And I think very much, for sort of go back, I was brainwashing myself into thinking of other people before putting myself first and i can see where aspects of my mum was a nurse and you know amazing woman always cup of tea in your hand piece of cake you know whatever you need whatever you want you know go out of a way to help support other people it does tend to sometimes put herself last or used to a lot more anyway you know because always in service of others um which made her great at doing what she was doing but not so good at modeling self-care to me you know yeah. and not that you should expect your parents to give you all the things that you need but I just wasn't aware of self-care and looking after myself first and you know putting on my own oxygen mask I would for everybody else's oxygen mask in the plane and then go back and do mine yeah yeah um just thinking about that modeling thing but I know what it is through NLP so it's basically you look at somebody who's Say you want to be a professional footballer, you look at that footballer and say, okay, what would that, what would he do in this situation? How would he train and all that kind of thing? Model that behavior and over time you become that. And or she. Or she, yeah. It's a different <laughs> world now. But <laughs> and then thinking back to an uh, interview I saw with a guitarist, uh, Steve Clark from Def Leppard many moons ago. Mm -hmm. where he says um, a lot of people want to play guitar like Jimi Hendrix. So they buy the same guitar as Jimi, they buy the same amp as Jimi, and they learn to play all of Jimi's songs. Mm -hmm. And then they get into a band, and they might say, can you play this by Led Zeppelin? Or we want to create our own music, but all you can do is Jimi Hendrix. You become a Jimi Hendrix clone to a fashion. Yeah. He says what the best thing to do is take that bit from Jimi Hendrix, that bit from Jimmy Page, that bit from 
I don't know, Iron Maiden, that bit from Black Sabbath, and maybe that bit from Classical, and mix it all up together and create yourself or your own style from there. Yeah. And when I learned the NLP model, it's like, okay, this is really powerful. And so many people I saw that had been to Tony Robbins's Unleash the Power Within, learned to become a coach, like, what would Tony do? What would Tony do? What would Tony do? And they become a Tony Robbins clone. I don't yeah. want to be anybody clone. I want to be myself. But I wonder, can I take that process and apply it to me as a yeah. person, not just as a guitarist? So I took that bit from the past version of me, that bit from my yeah. dad, that bit from Tony Robbins, that bit from James Hetfield and Metallica and all these different influences and yeah. consciously kind of made the own version of myself and then did the same thing when I became a coach because – I don't want to be anyone else's clone. I want to be me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting what you're saying about um about Tony Robbins. It's just it's just reminded me of something. I was trying to um, just grab to show you that um um a lot of when I started going through shifting my mindset and you know I I moved out. I've um yeah we we tried as a couple for you know after the sort of seven years here and my stuff didn't get put in bin bags. What she did was she marched me around to my parents' house and said, "Do you know what's happened?" You know, and and I had to sort of unpack everything to my parents, you know, about all the shit I'd gotten into and the finances and the blah, blah, blah. Um, and my dad had just retired from the Navy at the time. So he did help to basically bail me out and pay a lot of stuff off early and and kind of clear down most of the debt that I was in at the time. Um, and then we got marriage counselling and we um, and counselling for myself. And um, that was that was useful and helpful and, and kind of kept us communicating and was it was a really you know good thing to do I, i'm slightly, still slightly skeptical about the whole thing about you know psycho counseling and, and all of that so like, am i making this stuff up is it oh, i really like that because my dad wasn't around at the line i didn't feel like i had a bad time you know but yeah sometimes it's not the cleanest way of, of being able to approach something um but it did help me get more insightful about myself and i can see how now that, that was really useful um and we even moved house so we tried to tried our makeup house. Thankfully, we didn't have kids, just cats. Um, and we moved into a really nice, you know, nice um, place out in the countryside. And um, and we were, you know, happy enough for a while. But then we started, you know, I started um, uh, doing some um, work with somebody and and doing this sort of startup, working long hours, and and that was starting to affect the income again. And I could sort of see that pattern starting to form. And I was working like 18 hour days, we weren't talking, living in separate bedrooms, you know, and ultimately, um, then we had a friend of ours who was about to have about to have her second baby. And um I got a phone call on the way back from being away from it for a weekend, um, to tell me that that friend had died just two weeks before being due to give birth. And that really blew us apart because, you know, it had this um this whole thing about Basically, the, the, she had got strep, streptococcal that killed the baby, and the baby had basically killed her um, from from having died, and and then not realizing, and and effectively it gave her blood poisoning. Um, she got septicemia, and so we went from this sort of talking to her on a Friday night or Thursday night to her in Jakari to her being dead on the Sunday, and two weeks away from giving birth to their second yeah. child, and they're having to go around that night to our friend's house knowing the grief that would be there with the family and the people and 
yeah, their other child was only two or three at the time. So he wasn't really a, at all aware about what was really going on. Um, but not also being close to each other to have each other for that, to, to go through yeah. that process of grief. And that really blew us apart as a, we weren't strong enough as a couple to be able to weather that, that extra storm on top of the storm that we were already experiencing within ourselves. Um, and so, you know, ultimately within sort of six to nine months, we'd had that again, I think it's something she raised because it wasn't something I was going to bring up, but that, you know, I think we should knock this on the head and get divorced, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, I walked away from from the house. She kept, you know, she took the mortgage on. She had a you know a job and stuff that she could manage the mortgage. Um, and I just, you know, we didn't split anything in half. I just because I think uh, I met her. She had a house. You know, yeah. I felt like I was going to take that away if I made her sell the one that we had gotten now. And so I just walked away from any profit or money and all all the rest of it. You know, just a carload of stuff and and me back home. My parents. Um, but basically had that chance to then do a bit of a reset. Um, yeah. And um, my mate who was the coach lent me his Unleash the Power uh, CDs by Tony Robbins. I think it's over about six or eight CDs, um, you know, all of his stories and, and all of the stuff. And I hadn't at that point really heard of NLP, but knowing about, you know, how Tony trained in NLP and then, he created his own neuroassociative coaching and all the other stuff. I, you know, I can just see it and hear that it's all in there. But it, that just really helped me to to sort of reframe things at the time. And um, the the other thing that really helped um, was uh, a poster that I had up on my wall. I'm just going to bring it up if that's all right. Can I screen share? So I then had uh, this poster up on my wall. It's called the Holstie Manifesto. And so every morning when I woke up, I put this po- I, th- I saw it somewhere. I put th- I had this so that when I woke up, this was, and I said this to myself for months and months and months of time. And this is your life. Do what you love and do it often. If you don't like something, change it. If you don't like your job, quit. If you don't have enough time, stop watching TV. If you're looking for the love of your life, stop. They will be waiting for you when you start doing the things that you love. Stop overanalyzing. Life is simple. All emotions are beautiful. When you eat, appreciate every last bite. Open your mind, arms, and heart to new things and people. We're united in our differences. Ask the next person you see what their passion is and share your inspiring dream with them. Travel often. Getting lost will help you to find yourself. Some opportunities only come once. Seize them. Life is about the people you meet and the things you create with them. To so go out and start creating. Life is short. Live your dream and share your passion. And so for me, having this up on my wall um, became a sort of, I guess a sort of reprogramming myself to to start to look beyond my my marriage purpose because that's what I had also lost at the time. You know, I was you know a husband. I was a you know we were a couple. We were you know we had our holidays from time to time and we had our house and you know we we're going to retire old somewhere with our cats and that would be our life. You know, and, and do the 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 marriage relationship thing till we got old and died. You know, and yeah. Um, and then that wasn't there. And now who the hell am I? You know, um, and and because of all the stuff that had been happening and up to that that um even ahead of, of losing our friend, things had gotten so so bad at that point that I had considered killing myself. I remember going back once on a really shitty, horrible night of rain and just yeah, it was just awful. And it was nine, ten o'clock, I was knackered, driving back to the sort of um the, the sort of house that had been the home 
but it wasn't really a home anymore, separate bedrooms and all that kind of stuff. We were not talking to each other, you know, be a sort of communicating via notes situation. She was doing her job. I was doing my stuff and we were just living in the same space by that time. Yeah. And I remember driving on that road thinking I could just flick my car off the road right now and hit that tree. And I, and I really considered doing it. Um, cause I just thought that the world would be better off without me in it. Yeah. Um, and I remember the thing that stopped me was in in that sort of instant time that you get when you can sort of think ahead of something. I could just imagine what my funeral would be like and how disappointed my mum and my dad would be that I hadn't talked to them, how disappointed my friends would be that I hadn't reached out and shared with them. And and really, that was the thing that stopped me from doing it, it was just knowing that, that I would have let people down. So letting other people down saved me from from you know, doing something to myself at that time. But that's how low it gotten. I just thought yeah. I failed at everything. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when you're in that place how little things have a massive impact. Because when I was there myself, um, I, like yourself, I was going down the road. I wasn't um I wasn't driving, but I was th- thinking, well, if I were to just open the door, let myself out in front of a bus, nobody would give a shit. Yeah. And the world will be a better place. And my mate that was driving at the time, he didn't know what I was thinking, but for some reason, he changed some music in the uh, the old the old tape player, and yep. it was a Nine Maiden song that I've not heard for years. And I thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll just listen to this first. And then mm. the next same one that came on was "Can I Play with Madness?" Where he goes, um, <laughs> "Yeah, give me the sense to wander, to wonder, wonder if I'm free. Give me the sense." sense to want to know that i can't be me and then i'll knock the doors don't need a door to get out of this bad place i'll bust my way out kind of thing and i thought that kind of resonates and at that point i kind of passed out and then woke up at home and that that scared the shit out of me yeah not enough to do anything about it i was only what i was what 19 at the time and then a few i think it was a few weeks or a couple of months later my cousin actually went through and shot himself. Yeah. And you see the stuff that's left behind. It's like, I need to do something different because mm. I don't really want to do that. Yeah. I don't want to, my life's to stop. I just want the pain and suffering to stop. But yeah. we don't get taught how to do that. No. And when you feel like you've self-inflicted it and therefore it's yeah. your fault, you know, it can it can be overwhelming because if it's my fault, then... You know, all I can do is not have me around and then yeah. that'll solve everything for everybody, you know. But then on the flip side of that, when you look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I've caused all of this, mm-hmm. that also means that I can change all of this. Yeah. I can't change yeah. anyone else. I can't change the world, yeah. but I can change me. Yeah. That's one of the most liberating thoughts there is. Yeah. And when you see the shifts starting to happen, and that's one of my talks actually, is uh, shift happens, which is when I talk about the process of change. You start to recognize that you can put yourself in control. In NLP, we talk about something called cause and effect. You know, when yeah. you're feeling at effect of situations, you feel out of control, like you're banging your head against a brick wall, that you're very problem focused, that you can't, you know, take joy, that you're in drama all the time. You feel very much like the world is very much doing stuff to you very much in the victim yeah. mindset, if you know the drama triangle, yeah. victim, persecutor, rescuer. Whereas being at cause is going, right, okay, so this is happening. Not just to me, but it's happening. 
Yeah. What other variables I can influence and I can change? What can I do about it, bearing in mind where I am? Like you can't change the past. The past has happened. So everything that you've experienced, everything you've said, everything you've done, everything that's happened to you, around you, within your control or not within your control, has happened. Full stop. Right now, you can choose how you deal with it next. You can choose to deal with that proactively and do something about it and take a step. Yeah. Or you can choose to not. It's a choice. So sometimes yeah. we just got to decide to decide what is my next step? You know, what's the next best thing that I can do? As they say in Disney's Frozen. Yeah. What's the next right thing? Yeah. What is the thing that's going to come next that I can influence and impact yeah. and do something about? But I am not going to change everything overnight in the same way that I've not gotten to where I am in one big step. Now, that's an accumulation of stuff. What could, can I do to change things in a small one that, that, yeah. that soon add up and have an impact? Um, I always talk about this on one of my talk, you know, I, you know, I also do a lot of keynote speaking uh, when I haven't got cold, thankfully. Um, and uh, a lot of conferences, I talk about change and then sort of small, tiny changes and the power of compounding, you know, that get 1% better every day. Yeah, yeah. You, by the end of the year, you're 38 times better than you were. So just 1% better. It could be in a mindset. It could be in a behavior. It just could be in the way that you view something today versus the day before. But also that those small changes add up. So I read somewhere when I was, because um, part of the, the, I guess what happened next was, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at my health because I suddenly had all this time back. I wasn't in a relationship. I was at my parents' house. Um, you know, I, I needed to kind of get back out and get a social group, um, you know, um, have some fun again, I guess. I've been very, you know, in a situation not having any fun at all uh, for a long time. Um, and um, I lost six and a half stone in weight, 32 kilos in nine months. Um, because all of a sudden I started paying attention to my health, you know, and and putting some energy into that area. Um, and I read somewhere that in a cup of tea, there's 20 calories because of the milk. So I stopped putting milk in my tea. Um, and I have several cups of tea in a day, you know, six to seven cups of tea at least, you know. Um, and I added it up, you know, uh, recently because, again, I talk about this in one of my talks. And it's 613,200 calories I've not consumed by not putting milk in my tea. So one small change of 20 calories adds up a day to 140 calories. Over a year and over 11, 12 years now, it's 600,000 calories. I wish I'd stuck 20p away every time I had a cup of tea now. I'd be doing quite well, you know? <laughs> but it's one of those yeah. things that you don't recognize that the tiny impacts, the tall tweaks soon add up. So yeah, okay. I hadn't changed up to now, but what can I do now? You know, like that yeah. Chinese proverb says, the best time to plant the tree was 10 years ago. The next best time is now, you know, yeah. just whatever, whatever it is that you need to make a decision about one, decide it. And then two, start doing something about it. Um, and there is no time like the present. And, and that's literally true. There is no time apart from the present. The present is the only time that we are in right now. You can't predict the future. Yeah, there's no point in, in fearing the future and not living your life because you're worried about what might happen next. Because you know what's going to happen? Whatever it is that you don't want it to happen, because you're going to somehow influence, you know, influence it. So yeah. start going, what I want to have happen is this, and then do something about it. The world is not going to do it for you. So at some point, you've got to dust yeah. yourself down, get off your ass, and go and bloody do it, you know, because the world is not there to do your stuff for you. Because yeah. it will just no. ignore you and leave you behind. So you've got to do something about it for you. 
you want something to shift or change, you have to do something about it. And sometimes that is making the decision to do it. And now what resources do I need? Where can I go to for help and support? Those things will come when you know what to ask for. A signposts are there when you know what you're looking for. Yeah. You can't go on a journey where you don't set a destination. So your destination, the decision, the what I would like to achieve, what I'm trying to aim for, has to be made before the universe starts creating for you and putting in place. And you start noticing the stuff that's probably already been there, but you hadn't set a de- destination before. So you didn't know why or where you needed to get to. So ultimately, a lot of coaching and training and speaking and supporting is about people to make, get start making decisions. Once you made the decisions now, okay, it might be a long journey. It might be a short journey, but either way, you're going to start on it. And each one foot, one step, one change, one day at a time, then starts to add up each decision. This decision making me closer or further away from where I want to go. And if on one day you go a little bit further away, well, you're only one day further away, not back to square one again. Yeah. You've just made it a little bit longer to get back to where you needed to get to. Yeah. I think when you focus on what you do want, yeah, okay, you might not get it. But at the same time, it's about knowing that you've got what it takes to deal with whatever comes along that you don't want. Yeah. And sometimes you might not get what you want because you got something better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But at least we just don't know. What is it you want to manifest and head towards and look for and create, you know, and do? What's your aims? What's your goals? What's your ambitions? Yeah within that area of that section um i've got a, a a tool you know like the the life wheel that allows you to kind of do a bit of a, an evaluation maybe i could share it with you put it onto the the notes for the podcast or something um that gives gives people that kind of that chance to do a bit of a life check-in because sometimes we've got to check in to see where we are first in the different areas of my life where how do i feel in my health in my relationships in my family within yeah. my own energy within my home situation you know, how, how am I? Do do an audit first and then you know what area to, to yeah. focus on. Because one of those will be a catalyst for improving the others. Do when I started yeah. improving my health, then other areas start to improve because I started going to boot camps and doing outdoor fitness things. You know, because I've met this guy, George, who was a ex-Royal Navy PT. Um, and then I started going to his classes. So I then started to improve my friendship circle. Now I felt better about myself. So I you know, I was I was going on on sort of websites and and you know, I use the term dating loosely, um, people, but um, you know, uh, you know, getting into relationships again, you know, and having some fun, um, and and having experiences I never would have done if I didn't feel confident or more confident about myself than I did. Yeah, so I felt very battered and very bruised and very yeah, unloved in myself. Um, not because my ex was in any way malicious and. We just, you know, got resigned to the fact that um, we just shouldn't have been together for each other, you know. Yeah. Um, and that things could have come very differently if if both of us had been, you know, had known other things that we know now. But we know them now. We didn't yeah. know them then. I can't change that. You know? But I can be different in my marriage because I have gotten married again. Now, I got married seven years ago to, uh, to an amazing woman called Sophie that I met through um a trainer i was doing some training with and she said oh you should should go for coffee with my friend sophie uh, um i think you'd enjoy you know chatting the two of you um and now yeah i'm i've moved from the south coast up to london i got married seven years ago i've got a four-year-old daughter and a six-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old stepson 
you know, very different place in my relationship, in my marriage, my um, communication. She's a coach as well. So that's really useful. We both know it sometimes still makes days tricky and still get frustrated, but I'd show a lot more of my emotion. I don't bottle it up with that is frustration yeah. and, and annoyance or, you know, you know what, I feel all right today. That's yeah, good. You know, today's a good day. Um, and then that, that has such a significant impact on your communication in your relationship on your, you know, ability to feel connected. Her love languages are physical touch and quality time, you know, but I know that I need to do or want to do acts of service. She doesn't give a shit what I do. She wants me to be there with her at the time. And my yeah. doing stuff takes her, takes that away from. So she resents my acts of service. If I get too into that kind of that mode of needing to show my love that way. But yeah, I, I think... know this stuff now. And so yeah. I can also, one, be flagged up and given some feedback. <laughs> um, and two, yeah, just have a realisation about it. Yeah, it's knowing each other's love languages, although it's not the answer to every single relationship issue. It's It means that you can both communicate love in your own way, but also understand the other person's how they're going to receive love and how they're going to be giving love to you. Yeah. Otherwise you're both loving each other in different languages. It's yeah, it's ineffective. Remember love language is just a model. It's just a way yeah. of grouping together types of behaviors and actually going, it's a bit like a psychometric test, you know, for anybody out there's done, you know, Myers-Briggs or insights or engage or any of those things. Yeah. Don't label yourself just as X. But have an awareness of it. I will tend to want to show up in a relationship by doing things. Yeah. My yeah. wife now wants much more connection time with me. Yeah. Physically, just time on the phone. Yeah, if I'm away training or something, you know, that quality time just with me and her outside of the kids, yeah. outside of being, you know, a, a mother. She is also an absolutely fundamentally, first of all, her. Yeah, in her mindset, she comes first before you, even the kids, you know, and what her needs are. Yeah. She hasn't labelled herself into that I am only a mother role or I'm only a partner role, you know. But again, not everybody has those insights or that self-awareness to begin, you know, to do that process. But, you know, hers comes from, you know, her own shit in her own past with her own relationships and her own breakthroughs and her own coaching and counselling and all those kind of things that, that means that we can be a little bit more enlightened about it as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, what, so whilst I like to do acts of service, I like to receive words of aff uh, words of affirmation. So being told I'm doing a good job or getting feedback or people messaging me when they've watched something or heard something or seen a talk that I've done or those kind of things make a, give me a good boost, you know, you know, and that those, those simple words can, can last a week or a month you know, um, from those particular perspectives, not about a testimonial to get work, but just knowing that somebody's watched something or somebody's listened to something and they've gotten something that might have changed the course of their life from it, whether they're aware of it or not. And often if I bump into people who have been on training courses or, or have heard talks, it might be two, three, four, ten years later, and they go, I really remember that thing that you said about X, Y, Z. And I'd be like, okay, I mean, I can't remember it but it's had an impact on them because it was the yeah. thing they needed here at the time. Yeah, definitely. I remember hearing um, David Heiner talk back way back in, when was it, 2006? And one of the things he talked about is when he in interviewed Chris Akabusi, the Olympic athlete, 
And he, his first question to Chris, well, how does it feel to have so many people look up to you? He says, well, that's where everyone goes wrong. Instead of looking up to people, look into them, find out why they tick, why they yeah. do what they do, what they did to get where they are, and then learn from that. Yeah. And that, that totally changed my mindset. So instead of looking up to the guys in Iron Maiden and Metallica, I looked into them and found out what drove them, what was behind some of the songs that they wrote. Yeah. It's to a totally different perspective and it gives me a whole new level of uh, respect for them. And some of the bands I looked into that I used to like, so like, actually, your attitudes to life and women and everything else is not part of my world. So it's like, well, I'm not bothering to listen to you guys anymore. Yeah, and at some point, those values and those beliefs might have been part of your world or might have been part of society's world yeah. that you'd adopted because you thought that was okay, you know? And that's where you then got to catch yourself and go, actually, that's not who I am now, you know? There are lots of things I would have said or done in a relationship or in reference to people I just never would consider saying or doing now. But I'm a very different person now to who I was yeah. then as well. I've, um, I must say, I just finished uh, Dave Grohl's autobiography. Um, yeah, and... I found that really fascinating. I don't know if you've read that one, um, but that's Not that's yet. a great that's a great book. I'm a, I am a big Foo Fighters fan, um, but that is a, that is a great insight to to how he's become who he is, you know, yeah. by the by the stuff that he's experienced and lived through and 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 worked in, um, and uh, yeah, it's just fascinating to see his values and beliefs um, yeah, around the, the this whole sort of. I can't imagine. Yeah, I can't believe the roller coaster I've been on, and that I am where I am. But hey, I'm here and I'm enjoying it. Kind of experience. Yeah. Um, and whether your your roller coaster has been working for you, you know, or not, you know, you are in control of. You can get off it. That is possible. You can put the brakes on. You also have to realize that if somebody else had popped you on it, then just choose to stop. It's a choice. But at yeah. some point, you do have to make that decision to decide. Um, and also think about if I get off, what else do I need to replace that with that's going to be useful for me? Where else do I need to get get this stuff from in order to to increase and to grow? Um, and the learning doesn't have to be horrendously expensive. You have to go on people's really you know, tens of thousands of pounds courses to get this stuff. Um, most of people's knowledge about what they ever teach you is already in their book. You can get their book really inexpensively. Yeah, The book's written on the content that they're already going to share to you in a workshop, just in a different format. You know, see YouTube yeah. out for lots of free videos. Uh, like I said, I listened to tons of CDs from Tony Robbins and, and other people when I was sort of you know, emerging out of my cocoon of, um, you know, change when I was in my mid-30s. So there's lots of ways of accessing stuff that does not have to be, you know, come on my amazingly life transformational course. Um, because sometimes you've got to be in the right place at the right time with the right people um, in order to experience something. And at the same time, I think getting coaching is really key because a coach can, yeah. a good coach can help you to just unpack what's going on for you. And then the key thing is you have to then tell yourself what you want to do next with that. And yes, you might need signposts and supporting and a bit of mentoring, yeah, but ultimately you have to come up with that decision because none of us like to be told what to do. If somebody had come along in my mid twenties and told me how to be different, I would still wouldn't have been different. Yeah. I might yeah, go, no oh, reason to be. Because I know reason. Yeah, exactly. Because I didn't know any experience. And also, to be honest, we don't like to be told what to do. Our little five-year-old goes, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Because that's what I feel I need to do right now. But when you come to your own decisions, when you have your own aha moments, that's when the changes happen. 
that's when the magic happens. And sometimes life has to get so bad, you know, that you consider opening the door and chucking yourself under the bus or hitting the yeah. tree. Yeah. But other times it can also come because the goal is so good. And we are motivated by both going away from pain and going towards pleasure. Both of those things are true. And you don't have to have hit the pain point to go, oh my God, I'm here. You can imagine what that would be like. Yeah. I heard it said recently that um, first off, when the universe or life or God or call it whatever you will wants you to make a change, it'll, you get tickled with a feather. If you ignore the feather, it'll throw a brick at you. <laughs> yes. If you ignore, ignore the brick, then you get run over by a truck. Yeah. And then if you ignore that, the truck then goes backwards and forwards over the top of you until you wake up. Yeah. And remember, your body can only handle so much stress, you know? Yeah. And if it's not at ease with itself, that's when it gets diseased, you know, it'll disease because, you know, it ends up creating something within yourself that builds up to become out, right, you need to stop. This is what I'm going to do to you now. You need to rest. I'm going to create this. Yeah. It has no other way of doing it apart from manifesting from within. So sometimes listen to what's going on within and not just focusing yeah. on what's without as well. And how often do we um, get that runny nose and think, hang on a minute, I've still got these goals to do. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Then all of a sudden your body says, you ain't getting out of bed today, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Although to be fair, I think the half of mine came because I had a flu jab a week ago and it's... Uh... <laughs> ah. <laughs> one of those <laughs> yes and i can tell my mind i've got a, a good month off now in, into december and january so uh you know i've got plenty of time to rest and recuperate you have to do, you have to do it now whilst i'm still like, a little bit busy at the start of december please <laughs> how would you describe the differences between pre-marriage dating and post-divorce dating or or were they the same which, for you which marriage <laughs> well how many have you had well, I'm on my second. <laughs> well, I'm guessing since you got married the second time, you've not had any dates since, apart from with your wife. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but but actually, interestingly, so my my first my first wife um, was the only person I had ever slept with, uh, been out with, or had a serious relationship with, and then we got married. And all of those things didn't happen until I was in my twenties. So I had never had. A relationship a girlfriend i never had sex i'd never uh, had any of those kind of relationship experiences when i was a teenager so actually i was you know later coming into that and maybe yeah. that was part of the oh i've got somebody interested in me you know I, I think i was just naive to the signals that maybe people were giving me you know i was quite happily in the i think what people turn the friend zone with lots of people you know lots of good friends but not anybody that that had ever turned into a relationship. And to be honest, I'm so busy doing my scouting stuff. I wasn't really looking for it. None of my mates really had girlfriends either. You know, we were pretty, okay, we would drink, but nobody smoked, so nobody did drugs. Nobody really had girlfriends. Uh, we, we were just all out doing stuff and, and doing activities and things. So I think that's, again, that's just the model of the people that I was around Yeah. Um, at that point in time. In, you know, after my first marriage ended, um, then... Because that was the year for the only person that I'd ever experienced, um, you know, an intimate relationship with or sex or whatever with. And when that marriage ended, I certainly um, had lots of interesting experiences, mostly on sort of no strings type websites or going along to some very interesting parties or deliberately meeting up, um, you know, with couples um, and just experiencing different things to just widen my net of this is what the world is like and what 
Give me that. I had a lot of fun for, you know, a good couple of years. Um, just doing random things that were, you know, interesting to do. Um, and then I had a, um, a longer term girlfriend, somebody that I've met, um, actually when I was away on a friend's stag do, uh, up in Scotland, um, we had a long distance relationship for a while. Um, and, uh, I used to travel from, from Portsmouth up to, uh, Abby Moore in Scotland to see her because that's where she worked. Um, and then she moved down, but we weren't really good at living together and being together. And I found there's a bit of a kind of an energy drain happening. I was sort of becoming a lot more aware of that through doing my training as well. So we we ended that relationship. And then not too long after, I then met Sophie. Um, and um, yeah, so sort of, you know, it was a, a whole sort of mixture of of short dates, meetups, you know, one nights, and then into some slightly longer term um, relationships into one, you know, that was a, a sort of year, year and a half. And then into um, my relationship with Sophie, we've been together, excuse me, about eight and a half years. Excellent. Excuse me, sorry. You men <laughs> mentioned the uh, the victim rescuer triangle earlier. Mm. When you first learned about that, did you have any correlation between that and your first marriage? Oh, yeah, massively, yeah. Um, so that's called Cartman's Drama Triangle, um, Stephen Cartman, um, and it comes from the field of transactional analysis, which is about how we interrelate between each other when we're transacting and and talking yeah. to each other. Um, and that that yeah, I was massively the rescuer, and then playing the victim, and then getting frustrated and annoyed with myself and being persecutor mode. You know, I thought that my wife was going to be persecutor, so therefore I would self victim. So I wouldn't have conversations with her. I wouldn't do her the honor of having her own decision. This is where the narcissist bit kicks in as well, you know, yeah. because I already knew what she would say to me. But of course I didn't know, but I'd made it up in my head. Oh, I'm not going to ask her about this thing that I want to go and do at the weekend because she's going to say no. So I'm just going to say no and it'll be her fault and I won't bother. How do I know what she was going to say? I've never asked her. Yeah, she might surprise you and say, actually, I could do with the weekend's peace and quiet. Go off with your mates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was all it's all that kind of stuff that, that that was sort of going on and so yeah I was you know self-persecuting being the victim a mindset never being able to you know fix escape sorts do um so yeah when when often when people are not going their own way that's when they will go to drama um yeah. and there's a sort of the opposite which is the winner's triangle so instead of being in victim mode you create a self-enabler instead of becoming a rescuer you are a facilitator and instead of being the persecutor, you're a challenger. So ultimately, your aim, if something's happening to you, rather than being in the victim mindset of, I can't escape this, I can't do it, I can't find joy, I don't know what to do next, the very at effect, you know, what? You go, okay, be self-enabled. What can I do with where I am? What can I change about what I'm experiencing right now? Yeah, what do I need to shift or change? Okay, I'm not feeling very good about this situation or not enjoying where I am, I could leave. So let's just leave. That's self-enabled. You've come up with that yourself. That's your decision that you've done. Now, sometimes people can't just make their decisions. So that's why they go to a coach, go to somebody to help them in their relationships, you know, like yourself, or maybe if there's life stuff going on, somebody might come and speak to me. You know, And so therefore, I facilitate them to come up with their own answers because I don't know their life. Yeah. I don't know their situation. I'm not in their stuff, but they know what the next steps are. And sometimes going to a coach 
helps you to externalize it, talk about it, shift and change it. Um, and then the other role of the challenger is sometimes you need to hold boundaries with people. Yeah, if they're going through drama, you need to be able to say no, but doing it in a non-judgmental way, not taking it personally. So I often teach the drama triangle into organizations where there's a lot of drama. Like I do a lot of stuff in the NHS, for instance, you know, where people, receptionists have to be able to say, no, you can't have your repeat prescription that you sent me in one hour ago because it's a two-day wait, you know? Um, and that's just the way it is. It's just, they have to hold a boundary and they have to be a challenger, but not take it personally. Because if anybody else had answered that phone to that patient at that moment in time, they would be having the same response. So it's not personal. It's the other yeah. person is in their drama. They're going to be playing the victim. Oh, oh, but I really need my stuff. You know, I'm meant to, I'm going on holiday. My dog ate my piece of paper. I couldn't, I'm meant to get there, but then it was raining and my legs playing up and my knee. You know, victim, 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 victim. Try to draw a rescue in to feel sorry for them to to sort it. That doesn't work. Unconsciously, they will go to persecutor. What do you mean you can't get my repeat prescription? I'm, I'm going away. If I don't have my drugs whilst I'm away and I die, it'll all be your fault. I guarantee you uh, a receptionist will hear that if I die, it's all your fault bit around prescriptions two or three times a day because unconsciously people are used to getting their own way either by being in a victim mindset let's cry go and get some sympathy try and you know evoke the other person it's okay we'll get it sorted you know yeah or by overwhelming it with anger and hoping the other person backs down and get wants to get rid of them to make it easy and so we we're used to dealing with difficult things in that dramary way and so we grow up as adults transacting in the same kind of way yeah. um and in your relationship, if you are in drama, you will be either playing the victim, doing the persecutor, or doing the rescuer. Yeah, you're probably all three in one sentence. I'm so annoyed about the way you made me feel. Now I've got to sort it out. You know. So if you're in the drama, stop. What is it you can change that isn't about trying to get another rescuer involved? That isn't about blaming yourself for where you are right now. You are where you are. Stop wallowing in the past, your previous decisions, and go right. If I was to stop being the victim. What can I do to change myself right now? Yeah. And what's next? So become self-enabled. If you can't sort that, go and find a facilitator. It doesn't have to be a coach. It could be a friend. But try and find the friend that doesn't just tell you what to do. The one that's maybe a better coaching listener for you. If you've got an employee program in your in your organization that gives you access to be able to talk to somebody, go and talk to them. It's probably free for you. Yeah, that doesn't work. Yes, go and find the health coach. Go and find the social prescriber. Yeah, in your GP surgery, they've all got them to go and find somebody to talk to who can help you at least just unpack and unload some stuff. It might take a bit of time to access the resource. That doesn't work. Go and speak to a charity. There are tons of charities out there. That's exactly what organizations like Mind do, you know, supporting people in their mental health. Go and find somebody that you can talk to. If you don't know them, there are people out there that you can go and seek advice from. If you can afford them, great. Yeah, then that gives you the ability to be able to access that. But ultimately, you do have the answers and they can just yeah. feel like they're probably a little bit hidden right now. Yeah, because I think so many people in various different aspects of their life, it might be the relationships, it might be career or business, it might be other family areas or just friendships or a hobby. They're just kind of driving along the M25 saying Manchester's here somewhere. Yeah. They know the tra where they're trying to get to. They yeah. just don't know that next step yeah yeah so they don't know they have to go past birmingham to get to it you know or yeah. they don't know they've got to go up the road there on that one you know or on this direction yeah. or at least follow the bit that says the north yes 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is that often when you're coaching people, working backwards from a goal is a really important step. You know, what's the next thing that I need to do? What's the significant action that has to happen in order for this big goal to happen? Work yourself backwards rather than trying to go forwards. Because yeah. forwards means there's tons of tons of things you could be doing. Start with a goal in mind. What is the thing I want to achieve? Yeah. I want to get to X. I want to do Y. That you can control, by the way. Not, I want to get married again, have an amazing time. Yeah. Start with a thing that you can control. What is my goal? Maybe it's sorting my own shit out first, right? What do I need to do in order to do that? What I need to, you know, find somebody I can reliably talk to. What do I need to do in order, order to do that? Well, maybe I can ask some friends. So I actually, I remember John has been working with somebody. He seems a lot better place now. What do I need to do that? Oh, pick up the phone and talk to John. What do I need to do to do that? Well, I just need to pick up the phone. So by picking up the phone, talking to John, finding out who John's used, sorting out your shit, and then you're more likely to be in a better place. They're the yeah. key stepping stones. Now, it might be that John says, oh, but my my person, they've retired. You can't use them. You might go, oh, that's it. My life's over again then. Yeah, go back into victim mode. Or you can go, okay, who else do I know? I could just put something out onto a little yeah. group of people that I know. Anybody know anybody that helps people? Blah, blah, blah. You know? Um, you can look in the local Facebook groups, you know, people posting all the time, you know, for, for providing help. Like, there's always an option. But start with a goal in mind and work backwards. And also, remain flexible in your outcome. Because flexibility is the key to achieving a goal, not that kind of growth mindset versus fixed mindset. If you just fix on one way of achieving something, you very soon will become unstuck. Yeah. Whereas if you remain flexible in how you're going to get to it, then absolutely that's going to be fine. But like getting up to Manchester, you could drive to Manchester, you can walk to Manchester, you can cycle to Manchester, you get on a bus, you get on a train, you get to the train station, you know, and all of a sudden find out all the trains are out today. But actually, if I go to this other train station, their points aren't out or their rail's okay. So I could, okay, well, I can walk to the other train station or get the tube to the other train station, then go up to Manchester that way. Okay, well, that's out. Right, fine. Well, maybe I need to spend an extra night here and uh, get the coach in the morning. You can still get to Manchester or you can just decide that everything's over because you can't get to Manchester ever. But that's only because you fixated on one route. Yeah. But yeah, plan a route, but also know that if something happens, you will need to be flexible. And that's not to also then say you need to, you know, um, never make a decision because you're now you're trying to plan for A, B and C for everything. But just trust yourself to be able to be flexible when you need it. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's um, not necessarily knowing all of the answers in the moment. It's knowing that you've got what it takes to recognize the next step when yeah. it shows itself in front of you. And that's where working on yourself working on your emotional intelligence, working on your flexibility, then whatever happens within your life and within your relationships and within your family and within the dynamic that you exist in, within, within your business, you have the core tools to be able to deal with things in a proactive way when you need to become reactive to what's happened. And I think ultimately for me, that's what, that's what NLP gave me is not my life plan or my life purpose or a new relationship or my health, it gave me the tools to be able to help myself work into those areas. And sometimes I get them right and sometimes I get them wrong. But I also have the tools to be able to take and understand feedback. Sometimes that takes a bit longer than other times. But I have the tools to be able to do it if I choose to use them. Yeah, definitely. So, Andy, if anyone watching this wants to reach out and speak to you or just say hello, thank you, or I found this bit really, really useful, 
what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, so um, if you uh, go to my website, which is andycoley.com, so A-N-D-Y-C-O-L-E-Y.com, um, that's a good way to reach out to me. Um, if you go onto YouTube and Google Andy Coley, you can find my TEDx. Um, so I did a TEDx um, last year, um, which um, is a little bit more about my journey and, and uh, some of the stuff that we've spoken about today. Although, to be honest, we've spoken about it in a lot more detail today. Um, and uh, yeah, generally you can find me on social media, LinkedIn. You know, if you want to uh, you know talk professionally about supporting yourself and the team, um, or yeah, you just want to remember words of affirmation are my love language. But even if you just want to give me a little bit of feedback, um, then please do. Uh, I'd like to just know that this conversation has perhaps just helped to to impact and influence maybe the course of where you're going today, tomorrow, next year. Who knows? Tiny, tiny nudges can make a big difference over a long period of time. Yeah. And final question for today. It's a question I ask everybody at the end, which I don't prime anybody for unless they've listened to a previous episode, they might know what's coming. In which case, uh, I th- have a feeling you might, but um, I don't know. So question is, as this podcast is called Relationship Revolutions, what is one thing that you feel would bring a revolution to the world of dating and relationships? So one of the biggest things that makes a difference in our relationship when we do it um, is something called a clean setup. So it's something that I learned when I did some language um training around something called clean language. Um, and it's a, a little process developed by somebody called Caitlin Walker, who happens to be the person that introduced me to Sophie. Um, and it's about setting up your intentions for what's to come. Okay. So the question basically is for, for this thing to go how you'd like it to go, it will be like what? Okay. And to understand and both answer what you would like your thing to be like your date, your holiday. We did it for our marriage as part of our marriage vows. You know, this thing you've got coming up, how do you want it to be? Yeah, it might be your meeting. It might be your coaching session. It could be anything. But within the relationship, it might be for, for today to go, how would like it to go? It would be like what? Yeah. Or for this date to go, how would like it to be? Yeah. Or the kids are away for the weekend and we've gone away for a dirty, big, steamy sex weekend. How do we want that to be? Yeah. Well, whatever it happens to be, you know, how, how, how do you both see it? Okay. Yeah. So that's first question. For this thing to go, how you'd like it to go, it would be like what? Second question is, how do you need to be or how do I need to be for that to happen? So now you take ownership of that happening by putting yourself and thinking about how do I need to show up? And finally, what support and resources do we need to make it happen? So if we would say it was for a date, so for this date to be, how would like it to be? It'll be like, what? Oh, it'll be fun. It'll be uh, adventurous. It'll be the two of us together, um, having an amazing time, um, just sharing some laughs and, and a really, you know, a really fantastic time. Um, walking in the park together. For that to happen, how do I need to be? Well, I need to switch off my phone. I need to be present. I need to know that we've got, um, I need to um, just be attentive and ask really good questions and just enjoy the time. Uh, what support and resources do I need? Well, I need to know the kids are at school or I need to know we've got a babysitter. Um, I need to bring some money with me. Um, and that's it. That's how I need to show up. Because if I show up and I'm attentive and I switch on my phone, I know the kids are covered and everything's fine on that front, then I am going to help create what I want from that date. So that clean setup, those three questions, for X to be how I'd like it to be, it'll be like what? For that to happen, I need to be like what? And then what support and resources? Those three questions for us have really revolution, revolutionized um, our relationship. 
And with the kids and with everything else, we don't do it enough. But when we do do it, it works really well. Sounds amazing. I'll have to uh, look into that one myself. Yeah, there's a really good book uh, by, so it's uh, Dr. Caitlin Walker, From Contempt to Curiosity. So From Contempt to Curiosity. Great book that's got that set up. It's got the drama triangle. It's got a load of other stuff in there as well. So that's a really good book. Um, that was about working with teams, but it, all this stuff applies to yourself as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Andy, it's been an honour and a pleasure having you on here today. Thank I'm you very sure much. We will, Excuse uh... everybody for the odd cough uh, and my cold. Um, but uh, thanks for uh, for watching through to the end if you made it this far. No worries. And we will see you online or who knows, maybe in person at some point in the near future. It'll be a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please leave me a review on your preferred podcast platform. Click the like button and also subscribe so that you get the new episode notifications. I'm curious, what did you take away from this episode? Please share your takeaways with me. Send me an email to relationship-revolutions at theloveengineer.rocks.